Dad without a dad production. Hey everybody, and welcome to Dad Without a Dad. That is Dad Without a Dad. My name is Jose, Jose de la Roca, and you guys could follow me on Instagram at Mr. Jose de la Roca, at Mr. Jose de la Roca. And Andy, since he's better than most of United States, meaning he is allowed to go places because there's nothing going on over there as much as here, he's super busy this week, so he is not with us today. But I actually met somebody online and not Tinder or none of that stuff. I met a wonderful, wonderful writer, he's a teacher, and he's a dad who also didn't have a dad. All the way from Houston, one of my favorite cities by the way, man. Uh, all the way from Houston, Jimmy, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, appreciate that. <laughs> so tell me, uh, let's start with the obvious questions, yeah, since I just said that you didn't have a dad. You didn't have a dad growing up, so you kind of relate to this thing that we're trying to build, Andy and I, and by the way, like... I know you've been listening, but for whoever hasn't been listening, and this is the first time, Andy and I met at E3, and we created this podcast because he didn't have a dad growing up, and I didn't have a dad growing up. He had, he didn't have a dad growing up because his dad passed away early on in his life, and I just didn't want to be around. He's still alive. He's still in Guatemala. He, he was there a couple times, and I still have like a memory when we will be, um, you know, doing fireworks and stuff like that. But he was never like, let me support you. Let's go, you know, hang. Or he was just never around. So I had to deal with everything that a dad would, I guess, had to do it. I did it on my own since I was like nine, eight. But you also, we were talking about that. You also didn't have a dad growing up. Yeah, my story is a little bit different. Um, my mother got pregnant with me when she was 16 and she dropped out of high school um, right thereafter in 11th grade. And my dad is a couple of years older than her, but he had already been in and out of the juvenile system. And he's pretty much been in prison since I was born. I've met him a few times. I, I met him when I was 10 and I met him again when I was 20. And both of those times were a little different. When I was 10, he got out and he made all his big promises about staying out and trying to be a friend and all these things. But he, I think he might have made it three or four days before he broke parole and ended up having to go back to prison. And then when I was 20, I took him out to dinner. I was already at Ohio State. And, you know, I just told him, look, man, I really don't have a lot of time for you to be wasting here. I'm a very busy person. So I gave him another opportunity. I said, look, if you could stay clean, if you could stay out, you know, you could be my friend. You could be part of my family. But it just didn't work out. So, yeah, he's he's been kind of in and out, but I haven't had any contact with him since I was 20. So that's over a decade now. Now that I'm 31, I think maybe it's time to give him one more chance. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens once he once he, you know, inevitably gains a little bit of freedom. But last I've heard, he's back in jail and I actually just sent him my books. My mother keeps in contact with him. And so, you know, I told her to go ahead and give him my address. And, you know, if he wants to write me about what he thinks about the books, then, you know, maybe I'll talk to him again. So. Every other decade, I guess. Well, you're a bigger man than I am. Uh, I'm very resentful, I guess. Uh, uh, people that know me know me that I don't get mad. I just stay quiet, and I remember everything, like literally everything. I, I, for some reason, I have a great eyesight and memory. But, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, congratulations on you. Speaks loudly of you that you actually went the second time and still have that option of maybe he could be part of your life. I literally, like, uh, I don't know if you uh, were listening to one of the podcasts, but I literally, uh, I already said this, that uh, I was going through a lot because uh, uh, I almost became an alcoholic. Maybe I was an alcoholic. I quit about six years ago. And uh, I had lost my my laptop, my MacBook. It was my own fault. And I was struggling and... I couldn't, you know, take care of myself. I was living in a little one-bedroom apartment. I mean, one one bedroom. I was renting a bedroom. And I really needed a computer. So I called them up for the first time in years. And we talked. And I just say, hey, I know that you are an architect now. And blah, blah, blah. And then I asked them, like, do you think I could have, like, 500 bucks to get a new MacBook? And he said whoa, that's a lot of money, and um, I don't think uh, it should be good. And I'm like, well, look, yes or no, simple. And then he's like, no. And I was like, all right, man, don't worry about it. And then when I became clean and I realized that all of my issues are my own, they're not his, by the way, um, I wrote him a letter, said, I forgive you. I know you probably went through a lot of stuff. I know that life is not easy. I know that probably you have issues because you and I are the same. We probably have some mental issues and stuff like that, but we're done. You could live your life, and I know you have, like, a stepson that you're better, you know, dad to him than to me. Like I said, he was not, like, super bad. Like, you know, <laughs> we don't want to compare dads here, but, you know, like, he was not. Like, he never hit me. I don't remember much, but hopefully he never abused me or anything like that. And but I just said, you know what? We're done. We're different countries. You never really made an effort. We're just done. You live your life. I live my life and we're it, you know, but it speaks greatly of you for having that attitude. That's something that I think I need to work on. And I think that I, you know, me looking in the other way, congrats to to you, you know? Yeah, it's funny you say that because like forgiveness is actually not a virtue that I really care too much about. And and my dad and like my biological father, I don't really think too much about him, honestly. I mean, he's really a stranger, you know, at this point in my life, having after having my own kids and having taught for a good while. I think it's just an opportunity. It's a hero complex, right? It's like an opportunity to help somebody maybe get on the right track. Or I've always worked at really, really poor schools that have, you know, the lowest test scores, the so-called worst kids, you know, so I'm always just trying to make an impact. You know, I, I've, I've escaped poverty myself and a lot of people give me a lot of credit for it, but you and I both know, rarely do you succeed on your own. You always need a support system. It's always somebody giving you a chance or opening the door for you, you know? So if I can do it for my biological father, you know, then, then that's good. I mean, at this point, I'm not really hopeful because he's pretty institutionalized. I don't even know if he can live a normal, socialized, free life. I mean, he kind of is well adjusted to prison after having been in there for, I mean, he's, he's 50 now. So, I mean, what, 30 something years he's been in and out of the system. But yeah, I mean, the, the comparison thing is probably it too. I mean, my, I have two little brothers and their father was very abusive to my mother and to myself and oftentimes to my brothers. And so all of my anger and hatred, I guess, gets aimed at him. So my biological father gets a little bit of a pass, right? So no, I'm, I'm definitely not in the forgiving mood for him. So I think the world of people who can forgive. But for me, yeah, it's definitely trying to trying to put up a barrier and just keep people like that out of my life. I mean, I, I like to have very positive people around my kids. So anybody that is not going to contribute to being the type of person that my kids will think I find acceptable, I just don't have any time for. So 
I'm proud of you for being able to forgive and kind of clear your mind of it. But for me, I think that's still an area I need to grow in for sure. Have you ever wondered how can you start a podcast? Well, I have been in the streaming and radio broadcast industry for about 15 years, and I share with you all my secrets in my brand new book. My book is called Start Podcasting: The Secrets of a Radio Broadcast Engineer, and it's only $2.99. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, iBooks, or on my website, josedelarroca.com. For only $2.99, you will learn all my secrets about podcasting, from starting a podcast, my home studios, and even marketing. I recorded this commercial in my home studio, and you can learn what I use in my brand new book, only $2.99. So go get a copy of my brand new book, Start Podcasting: The Secrets of a Radio Broadcast Engineer, only $2.99, available on Amazon, iBooks, Kindle, and much, much more. Start podcasting: The Secrets of a Radio Engineer, only $2.99, available on Amazon, iBooks, or on my website, josedelarroca.com. Yeah, I think I realized when I was trying to change my life, I realized that my parents, who I was blaming them for everything, they never gave me a beer or they never gave me like something to like, they never said, here, go throw your life away, right? I actually, my mom be, kind of became sober when she, she wanted to be a mom after a couple of years when she came to and started living with us, but I just feel like I need to go past that. But like I said, I'm not reaching out like you are. But anyways, so you're a dad, though. Like you are. It sounds like you are an amazing dad. You're a teacher. You're a dad. You're a writer. You're a Houston Rockets fan. And <laughs> is there anything else that, uh, you know, you want to tell people that you do something secret that you seems like you're very, very talented person? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I have a um, I have a nine year old daughter. She turned nine on May the fifth, and I have a son who is going to be five in two days. So ah. we're really close to spending a lot of money on his on his birthday and getting ourselves into some financial trouble. But yeah, one of the one of the challenges for me is just trying to figure out what to do with with my talent. I mean, I, I want to just help people in the biggest way possible, and I want my kids to be part of that process. So. One thing that my wife and I have been working on for a few years is starting a nonprofit community center here in Houston. Um, the idea really started when my son was about to be born and my daughter had just turned five and we wanted her to be involved in ballet and swimming and soccer and gymnastics. And we wanted her to be very well-rounded, but I think it cost us a little bit more than a thousand dollars to drive her all over the city of Houston, the Woodlands for this or Atascacita for that or downtown for this other activity. And so we want to build a place that has everything and we want to do it in a way that we can offer it to families who could not afford those things for those kids to give those kids a fighting chance to, to grow and to develop and reach their full potential and, and basically give other families what we want to give our own children. So we've been working on it for a few years and, and we're now starting the really get going with it, but it's a tough time with COVID-19 to ask people for financial support, right? I mean, everyone's kind of struggling right now. So it's a it's an awkward time. We can't really go out and do fundraisers, um, but hopefully when the world returns back to normal, that's something that we can get off the ground. So that, that's going to be my next move. Actually, I feel like this is the best time to start things. And of course, you need people around people, right? So that's your business. But that doesn't mean the infrastructure could be built right now. This is like, I started my own business right now. Like, I feel that, uh, I talked about this before, that 
there's going to be two different people coming out of all this. The ones that uh, sat on the couch and watched Netflix and the other ones who actually started doing things. Like, I don't think I've ever been as busy as I am this past three months. I mean, besides that, now that my girlfriend went back to work, I'm a full-time babysitter, a full-time dad, a full-time employee, and a full-time entrepreneur, you know. But I think what you're doing is right. I mean, you do need people and try to get fundraising and stuff like that. But you could build the infrastructure to have, you know, a well-built infrastructure. When all this thing is over, you're ready to launch everything. You know, like you could have your website ready, your uh, marketing ready. You could have your clients ready. You could, you know, it doesn't mean it has to, the money has to come in right now. But you could have the backbone of it to come out strong. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's really where we are right now. I mean, we're already 501c3 incorporated. We've already got, you know, like you said, the infrastructure, we got a website and and we've got a, a strong board of directors, very diverse, very talented group of people. And it is just a little it's a little bit of a waiting game, but it's also, you know, with so much free time. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. I, I'm busier during my free time than I am when I'm just in my regular work and come home and take care of the kids routine. So, yeah, it's been really nice having all this time with uh, with my wife and, and with my kids. But it's so busy, like trying to make sure they do schoolwork every day and exercise every day and making sure we're keeping a balanced diet and all, all the things, you know, that go into trying to be a good parent. It's it's been a little tiring. I mean, recently I had to kind of take a step back from Twitter and just like refocus, reprioritize. Um, I finished the the draft of my third novel last week. And so ever since I finished that draft, I just feel like, OK, I can take a little time off before I get back into editing and just looking at my kids, you know how it is. They grow so fast. It's like every time they go spend the night with my mother, it's like they're taller or smarter, you know. So I'm just trying to keep my priorities in order and, and keep the future in the future and focus on the present as best I can, which is kind of a weakness of mine. I'm a little bit of a dreamer, so I'm always got my head in the clouds in the future somewhere. But it is important to stop and, and focus on what you have going now, because there was a time when this life I have now was the dream. I used to want to live in a nice house and have beautiful kids and a beautiful wife and, you know, a basketball goal in the backyard. And so having all those things, you know, I got to appreciate that before I can start focusing on the next big dream too, you know. By the way, you don't need to score points with your wife. You could tell them that you could say that they've been driving you nuts. I mean, uh, I always wanted, I never wanted to be a dad, but when I became a dad, I became responsible. And now it's like my number one priority but man, this past two weeks, I don't know how people, I don't know how full-time moms do it, man. It's like, I mean, it's our own fault that we created, a, uh, I was telling you that we created a needy uh, little boy because we give him full attention. And I kind of understood that when all this thing happened and I knew she was going to go back at some point. And luckily I work in the tech related you know aspect of everything so i could work anywhere and i could do my stuff anywhere i could uh you know edit audio do things from anywhere uh that's my skill but so i knew i needed for him to become like an independent little boy which has been hard and i've been really stressed because you know i'm not the typical dad i need to be there hands-on and i need to know what he's doing and i wish i could be the the dad that just let's tv take care of your kids and stuff like that but i'm not like that so i've been trying to kind of rewire myself and trying to rewire him for him to be independent use his imagination and stuff like that but but yeah it's okay to say that they've been driving you crazy man <laughs> yeah. 
it's all about balance. You know, my wife, she stays home with the kids um, during the day. We've, we've been trying to work out this whole money versus family time versus time for our own marriage versus time for our own identities. You know, it's, it's a constant um, juggle. And so I don't, I don't know that my wife wants to hear me complain about it since she's, <laughs> you know, she homeschools my kids. Um, so we've, we've been struggling a little bit with the, with the actual school system that I, that I work in. So, um, Is yeah, she a so teacher too? it's like a break for her having me here, you know, like when you have someone that you can kind of hand them off to, Hey, I just need a minute. Can you just deal with this? You know, not having that option. Like you said, being alone with your own son more, like when you know that it's all down to you and you can't even, you know, go to the restroom without my son figured out how to unlock the doors now with a little butter knife. So yeah, it's definitely not something I can complain about since she's taken much more of the child, child, uh, childhood, you know, burden from me. So I'm actually really relieved that I can share in it now because I feel like I miss so much just working all the time. So it's been a pretty good balance. My my son, he's uh he'll try your nerves though. That's for sure, man. That four that four year old age, they just have that unlimited energy. So yeah, it's been it's been really cool being home for sure. Uh, so is she a dancer? Uh, she teaches dance. Yeah, my wife used to be a professional dancer um, long before I could have got her. That's for sure. <laughs> and. Uh, Now she is a dance teacher. We used to teach at the same high school. So she was the dance teacher and I was the football coach. And it was extremely cliche that we got together. But yeah, we were friends for about a year and a half. And then once we sort of found out that maybe there were some feelings for each other, we were married like four months later. It happened like in a blur. So wait, so yeah. is that uh, you teach? Is that your what do you teach? Because are you a football coach? Because I know how. I really don't know how that works, especially like in Houston where like football is religion. Uh, so do you teach PE or what do you teach? So I started out teaching math sixth through eighth grade at a very small charter school. It was, it was an all boys school. And so sports was the biggest thing ever. And I was 22 and barely older than the kids I was coaching. And I eventually moved to the varsity level and I became an athletic director at a middle school. And once my son was born, I really had to take a step back and, and my wife really was spending a lot of time going to all the games and trying to support me. And so I think it was just my turn. So ever since my son has been born, I haven't coached. I took I was going to take a year off, maybe two years off and sort of watch him grow. But my wife wanted to go back and get her master's after she supported me going and getting my master's. And so we supported her getting her degree. And then she went back to teaching dance in the evenings. And so we're just at a point now where if I go back to coaching, my money will just be going to babysitting. So we kind of have a good system where she has the kids during the day. I have the kids during the evening. We don't see a lot of each other when things are regular, my wife and I, but I grew up daycare to daycare to daycare to daycare because I had a single mother, you know, raising three boys. So trying to keep my kids out of daycare and in our hands with people who want to see them grow, you know, academically and personally, that's been a very important thing. So it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle not coaching because that's what I really love. But we're talking, you know, 11, 12 hour days and then getting home and watching film and these things, especially when you coach football at the varsity level here in Texas, it is a, it is a full time commitment, even in the off season, there is no off season. So yeah, I, I miss it. I miss competing a lot. I think I'll get back to it whenever we open our community center. But for now, you know, I really, I think, I think it's all about priorities, right? And, and my kids, they know how much I love sports. My son is just now old enough to understand it now that I'm teaching him how to play. And so I think it was a big 
sign for my family that I'll be willing to sacrifice for them. You know, something that was really important to me. So, yeah, hopefully I'll get back to it soon. It's a big hole in my heart without sports right now with the whole coronavirus thing going on. But yeah, my family is just so much more important. I've always wanted to be a dad. And so now that I have it in my hands to prioritize something else would just be pretty hypocritical of me, I think. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the our traits since we didn't have dads growing up. We All we want to do is be better. And first of all, we're still with our kids. So that's a plus right there. And then not only we know what not to do, so we always try to do the right thing. And, you know, we prioritize, like, family first and things like that. So, you know, congrats on that. Wow. So you were – did you play football? Growing up, I, I played football for a lot of years, got a lot of lingering injuries. I'm only 31, but my body is like 50 right now. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think basketball was was a future for me. I mean, I was six two in eighth grade and then <laughs> then I just stopped growing, unfortunately. So, yeah, I I don't regret the time that I spent, but I, I'm just very, very lucky that my mom cared about my education as well, because I ended up going to Ohio State on academic scholarship. You know, so I, I kind of figured out when I was maybe 17 or 18 and getting fingers taped and ankles taped and just thinking, why am I killing my body when I already have a scholarship? You know, I already have hundreds of scholarship offers for my grades. So let me just kind of hang this up. And, you know, it was thinking about fatherhood that motivated me to take a step back from sports because I wanted to be able to play with my kids. You know, if I kept going the way I was going, maybe took a smaller school's basketball scholarship, maybe I wouldn't be able to you know, go outside and play basketball. You know, I already have tendonitis and all these injury problems. So even even as young as 17, 18, most of my decisions have always been informed by what type of father I wanted to be, you know, when I got older. Well, look at you. You, That's pretty cool, man. You always thinking of the future and you're doing, you're actually just said that you achieve one of your dreams and now uh, you are achieving another dream of yours to create that community. It seems like you guys a good foundation because you and uh, your wife could be our great directors because you guys know about kids, know what the kids need. You've been not only a teacher, a football coach, she's a dancer, she's a dance teacher. So you guys have a really great backbone about, you know, creating your community. Um, yeah, I think people are going to, want to bring their kids to us. I mean, we've we've worked with teachers in the past who were not parents and, and being a parent is not a requirement to being a good teacher at all. But there's a different level of patience, as you know, that comes with, you know, being around a child and really having the, the child's best interest at heart. I mean, my measurement for myself as a teacher, you know, we get evaluated on test scores and all types of metrics and numbers and statistics. But at the end of the day, if I wouldn't want my own daughter to be in my class, that would tell me that I was doing a bad job. And so that's how I approach everything I do. Is this is this what I would want for my own child? And so, yeah, I think our background and our resumes are going to help people feel comfortable bringing their children to us. But at the end of the day, you want to know, okay, these people, they have what it takes to support children and to help children grow. And, you know, when people drop their kid off at school, that's the most precious thing they have in the entire world is that child. And they leave them in your care, you know, Teaching, teaching is a thankless job often. You know, we, we don't get paid as much as we probably should. But when you have that level of pride about what you do, you know, you want to do what's best for people's kids at the end of the day. So, yeah, I'm hoping that that comes through when it comes time to, you know, starting our business. And hopefully, you know, we can help the people that need the most help. That's the that's always the goal. Yeah, I always. Um, it's, you know, we're living in weird 
times, like super weird times. Uh, and no, you're in Texas, but hopefully you're a Democrat uh, or at least not a red person. <laughs> but um, I always say I, I always it, it amazes me how like people don't put more attention on education like the the people i wish there would be like a president or so and i'm talking overall right like i wish they could put more attention to teachers to like the backbone because basically our future are kids right like the one of the best things i've seen so far through all this stuff is how those tiktok teenagers are really going out there and bringing a voice to america and showing the world how we're not really trump the youth are actually speaking up they're saying you know we all matter we, you know brown people matter black people matter you know the young are making a difference right now right and i have a nephew who's 21 and he told me he's he said uh he's actually 22 he said i made a mistake by not voting you know four years ago so this year i will vote you know, and for a teenager who all he does is play PlayStation and watches TikTok and that's our youth, right? But for them to speak up and say, hey, this has to stop. And they're the ones who are going to stop it, right? So I'm very happy from, you know, looking at our children and goes back to like, I wish more people would pay attention how my girlfriend only makes barely minimum. You probably make barely minimum. Your wife probably makes barely minimum and by the way that doesn't mean all teachers are good because i'm pretty sure there's some teachers out there just getting paid and passing by but we should focus more on the education of our kids and not only math but make it more broad more like focusing on that because you know growing up i thought i was stupid right it's just i didn't like school it's two different things right i always thought you know i was stupid but no it turns out that my brother liked school and i didn't so we have to approach different ways on everything. So I wish they could give a better salary for people and put more strict rules and be like, hey, you can make this much money, but you had to be better at it because, you know, you're shaping the future of our country. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of teachers that, you know, maybe their heart isn't in it. But I think if if it was a profession that we prioritize, sort of like how we prioritize engineers or lawyers or doctors, which are all very important professions in our society, then you would get the best and the brightest, just like we do in those professions, right? I mean, the higher the requirements, the higher the salaries, when those things go hand in hand, then you really start getting people that you would trust with the foundation of, of society. But, you know, when you look at some of the requirements, the testing and the commitment that it takes to being a teacher versus, let's say, a police officer, much less education required, you know, just anybody can really just do it half the hours. And then you look at the pay and you look at the responsibilities. I mean, I've had kids, you know, in my face as close as you can be, you know, some very hostile situations and breaking up fights and all these things. And somehow I'm able to do it without harming anybody. Somehow I'm able to deal with the craziest kids you've ever met without resorting to violence, you know. And so it's it's one of those jobs where we expect the best from our teachers. Every you know, any scandal that involves a teacher is an indictment on the whole school district and it's handled very swiftly and immediately. And it's the same thing for doctors. You know, if you've got a doctor that's unethical, it's big news. If you've got a lawyer that's breaking the law, it's big news, right? And so it would be good though if 
being held to that same standard was actually matched with a salary of the same standard. Right. I mean, everyone is a big fan of saying just do it for the kids and think about the kids, you know, but in a society that really cares about the well-being of our children, the caretakers, not just teachers, but daycare workers and pediatricians and anyone that is involved with children, you know, that should be priority number one, because like you said, that's the future. Right. And this 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 next generation that's coming up, they are some kind of special. I mean, you know, all the jokes about how much they're on the Internet and these things. But this is a really special group of kids. These 20 and under kids, they are so open minded and very smart and they're so ambitious about things and they're very vocal about a lot of things. And so I think sometimes it's easy to just dismiss them as saying like, oh, you know, these kids, they just think they know everything. But listening to them and giving them the fresh start, I really think that's our best chance in America for sure. Yeah. You know, Internet is bad and blah, blah, blah. But it also opens their eyes for people, right? Like somebody who, yes, was bullied and unfortunately something happened. But we know about it, right? And then kids, you know, I believe most humans are, are you know, nice people. Most kids are, you know, they want to impress somebody and they want to be mean to somebody. But that doesn't mean they're super mean. So I think nowadays we are seeing how the youth, and when I mean youth, it's like, like you said, like 24 and under. Uh, they have a voice. They know that they have a right to vote. They seen everything online. They know that you could be whatever you want as long as like I always tell people you could be whatever you want. Like literally, I don't care whether you're black, red, purple, if you vote this or if you follow that religion, as long as you're doing good and whatever you're doing makes you a good person, that's all that matters, right? And I think they see that. They see how they could speak up. They're going to hopefully change Or situations and there's a better future out there for all of us because they the internet allows all the information for them to have it in their palm of their hands and they're very smart in a way that they could see what's good and bad you know and they actually know the internet better than most of us so they actually know what's good and bad and what's good news and bad news you know I think they're using it for good. I mean, there, there's going to be pros and cons with anything, but even just what you and I are doing here, I mean, we without the internet, we never would have had this conversation, right? Like we never would have known each other. We would have felt probably more alone in, in trying to raise kids without having a, you know, a father to kind of take after. So it really does, you know, cure what I think is one of the things that is happening right now is nobody talks to each other, right? The second we disagree about something, that's the end of the conversation. For a teacher like me, I think, That's the beginning of the conversation. Right. I am a Democrat, but I love talking to Republicans. You know, recently I had a, a thing where my mom found out her boyfriend was like this raging Trump supporter who was, you know, a racist against this, these people or that people. And so I went and had a conversation with him for two or three hours. And, you know, it really changed the way he was looking at things because we were at a table. We weren't angry with each other, you know, man to man, just talking it out. Just tell me your ideas. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? We're going to read a few books together so I can help him maybe understand some of the perspectives that he doesn't have. And our kids are so good at that. They have friends from all over the world and they're on Discord together and they're playing video games online together. And when you have to actually talk to a person, it's much harder to hate that person than it is, you know, just typing on, you know, insults at each other on Twitter. So. I'm very hopeful for the kids. I think that their their knowledge of the Internet and their ability to make the world smaller and communicate with each other 
that's just going to make so much progress for us in, in society. And, and I hope we can take a page from their book and just really sit down and talk to each other. It's a whole different dynamic sitting at, at a, you know, maybe if you can't do it face to face, even what you and I are doing, just having to listen to a perspective that is not your own makes all of us smarter in the end. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited for what these kids are doing and having the opportunity to teach them has really been a privilege of mine in my life. And that's how uh, Andy and I met. We met at E3, which is uh, E3 uh, is like the Super Bowl of video games. And uh, I do a lot of Pride events um, and I have work E3. And Pride and E3 have the same, they're relatable because people are there for one thing, right? For example, Pride, everybody wants to celebrate who they are. E3, everybody just wants to be a gamer. And every event like that, I I see hopefully the future because people there they're not caring about what you look like. I don't. They don't care if you are a male, female. They just care there to play with you, have fun playing the game that they want to play, and that's it. And at pride events, they just want to dance. They just want to have fun. They just want to be pr uh, proud of who they are, and you know have a drink or two. So I think that's the youth, right? Nowadays, they don't care whether you're brown, black, or anything. They just care whether you like the same video game, whether you like the same artist, or whether you like the same show, whether you are in the same network. That's all they really care, you know? They just want to have fun and be out there, you know? I mean, if you think about the way you and I used to make friends, it was what, whoever sat next to you in class? I mean, whoever you got to see the most, right? Like proximity is often the way that children make friends. Their best friend is the kid that they see relatively often. But what the internet does is it opens the door to make more meaningful, you know, better foundation relationships like, okay, you and I both like, you know, the Houston Rockets. And so right there, that takes us out of our identity to something that we chose about ourselves. You know, we can't choose our skin color, our ethnicity, but the things that we did choose, you know, these kids are just free to find those people that they connect with you know, really bond over something on a, on a different level. And it's, it's extremely important. I mean, we made the decision to homeschool our children and the number one misconception is like, Oh, your kids will never socialize, right? Like they'll just be in the house and they'll never have any friends. But for my daughter, her friends come from dancing, which is a big passion of hers. So their friendship being built on dance is already more meaningful than we just play at recess together, right? It's a common thing that they strive for. They're getting ready for the same recitals. And then they get on Zoom and they or they get on Facebook Messenger and they play with LOL dolls and, you know, and they do all these kid things. Right. But the foundation is very important. You know, you and I, we had that foundation just from looking at your tag name on Twitter, a dad without a dad. I said, oh, wow, that's me. Right. So it's like already some of the barriers that we might have had were down, regardless of the fact that we're both Latinos or whatever the case may be. Right. That was the last thing I thought about you. Dad without a dad said nothing about your ethnicity or where you were from or what you look like. I just thought, hey, that guy's like me before I knew half of what you look like or what you, you know, what you had been through. So, and then you saw me and you're like, ah, fuck. We look <sighs> nothing alike. We're, no one's going to think we're brothers now. This guy is so weird. Let me not talk to him no more. Never mind. Yeah, and we met uh, uh, online. We, made on, uh, we met on Twitter and we had something common, which you and I are authors and I already said this many times that I don't consider myself a writer even though I write and I write different things and stuff like that but you are like literally writer you wrote three you say you already finished your third novel I'm working I'm gonna start editing the third novel but yeah I'm a I'm a full 
fledged author of a young adult fantasy series. And, and I do think about myself as an author. I never did before. I had never considered writing a book. I used to just tell stories a lot of times or do some nerdy, you know, um, fan fiction stories or things like that. But when I would tell my students the stories, I would tell them like, all right, I'll tell you what happens next in the story if you finish this work really fast or whatever. And my high school students actually encouraged me to go ahead and put my books on Wattpad or at least the first one. I had never I had never heard of this. Right. But these kids. Right. They know the Internet better than us. And so, yeah, they had to teach me what like that people were commenting or people were voting on certain chapters or whatever the case may be. And I actually won the Wadi Award in 2015 for my first book, The Rough Draft. Right. So I had to I had to really look at this book and go, you know, this actually might be successful if I teach myself how to be a real writer. So it, it took years of learning to edit, learning to write, learning how to craft a story, right, without my voice or my body language to tell those stories, having to do it with just the, the words on paper was was a grand challenge. And, and I still get better, right? Book three is going to be significantly better than the other two because I'm better. I go back and read book one from time to time, and, and I still love the story, but I know that by the time the series is over with the fourth book, yeah, it's definitely evolving. But I, I do feel like a writer for sure. And I think you should, too. I mean, the percentage of people in the world who write a book is what less than half of one percent of the whole world ever writes a book, much less publishes it. Right. So we're in a pretty prestigious group. I think you and I. Hey, that's pretty cool that you actually made a successful business without thinking about it. Right. Because if you think about it, you said uh, your young fiction. Is that what it is? Young adult uh, fantasy. Uh, what is that? Um like what's the so it's a fa it's a fantasy for like under 16 yeah basically for my students right i have a lot of students who will tell you they haven't read a book since third grade not on their own volition not one that was assigned to them and when i asked them why you know i have a bookshelf in my classroom that the school provided for me with some books from the library and they'll go all those books suck like those books are lame i don't really see myself in these books like I don't know. I don't, I don't really like the characters. And so my main character is a reflection of the boys that I teach, right? These boys who are very misguided, they make a lot of mistakes, right? And the magic school and the whole fantasy element, it takes the, it takes the children out of, well, the teenagers, it takes them out of their current situation, right? It gives them a little bit of escapism, but it also allows me to teach some really deep lessons without our feelings being attached to it, right? Like if it was said in our real world and I'm talking about politics, whoever's a Republican may not like the Democratic characters, whoever's a Democrat may not like the Republican characters, but in a whole different world, you have to start all over and learn these characters and learn these ideas from a whole different lens, right? So I get to be a little sneaky about it and kind of tie some of what we're going through with a whole magical setting, right? That That's totally unrealistic. That's being a writer right there. If you guys didn't pay attention, pay att go back and rewind this for like two more minutes. That's a being a writer right there. Wow. So, yeah, I hope you, you realize that you actually create a business without thinking and you had the right audience for the, to test it, which it was perfect. I'm pretty sure your book did well because you had the audience. They told you what the problem was and you fixed it. You're an entrepreneur, man. So congrats on that, too. Yeah, thank you. So you I, I want to. You wrote you wrote that book and then uh, you you just decided to finish it. Is that what it is? And then you uh, published it like all of us do. And then you wrote the second one. 
Yeah, well, what happened was when I looked at the Wattpad version that won this award, I thought, okay, well, someone other than myself and my mother and my students think it's good, right? I mean, <laughs> people around you, they're going to tell you what you want to hear, you know. So I was really worried that maybe it wasn't good. But once I had an outside, you know, source that had, you know, 100,000 books or however many entered the Wattpad contest that year, I said, okay, if I can actually be a professional about this, right, if I'm going to actually ask people to spend money on my product, then I need to be a professional in my delivery. And so it took another three years after I had finished the book previously to go back, make a whole new world for the book, rewrite it in a way that was a little deeper and, and really delivered on what I wanted to deliver. And so, you know, once I considered briefly going through the traditional publishing route, looking for an agent, but, you know, no disrespect to all the great agents that are out there. I didn't find any that I felt represented me and what I was trying to do. And I just wanted complete control over my artistic vision. So I decided to publish um, in December of 2018. And I was really worried about whether or not I could write the second book. I had never written it before. And I personally don't trust authors to finish the series unless they've done it before. Right. So I haven't really focused too much on who's buying the book and how the book is reviewing, because I still want to prove that I can deliver the entire vision. Right. That I'm a professional and I can deliver. So in 2019, exactly one year from the first book, I published the second book. And December 5th, 2020, the third book will come out. And 2021, December 5th, the series will end. And I'm very confident I can deliver a book annually. So what's the the first? So what's the series about? Can we can, do you say because this is my first time um, interviewing a, a series author, you know, so does that mean can I ask the question of what the series is about or should I ask the question what's the first book about? It's a little bit of both. Right. The, so the series starts with um, a young boy without a father. And his mother has early onset Alzheimer's. So he doesn't have either parent, right? Which is a, a typical thing for um, a young adult novel to not have a strong parental influence to kind of free the character up. Um, but most of what JT, the main character, is trying to do is cure his mother's Alzheimer's. So when he gets taken to a magical school, he focuses more on science than on magic. And who he becomes is definitely different than what you might think at the beginning of the book. He's a very strong-minded boy. He joins a gang. He, he sells drugs to make money for his mother, right, secretly, because she doesn't even know who he is by the time he's seven years old. And the boy he grows up to is one that has a lot of the issues that a lot of teenagers deal with. He's just lonely. He's got a lot of anxiety sometimes. He's, he's trying to use some of his, like, sexual interactions with females to kind of fill that void that's missing from his mom, right? And he knows that it's unhealthy. And I think all of us have done things that we know are not the right things to do. And yet we still go down that path. Right. And, and I think it's very important for teenagers and even adults to be able to read a character who goes through some relatable things, maybe has the right intentions, but not always the right actions. Right. To go towards that goal. Some, a lot of us want to do well. And then we find ourselves doing things that we know are not going to contribute. And, and that is really what I wanted to capture with this story. So It's a lot about become, going from a boy and becoming a man. Later in the series, there's a lot more of a focus on fatherhood and you know how he's going about raising his future kids. And the series will eventually shift focus away from him onto the children and really look at the differences between a boy growing up without parents versus a boy that grows up with very loving parents, you know, three, four parents because of step parents that you know are all heavily invested in him. So the magic school wrappings really disguises a lot of the deeper, more realistic things that we're going through in our own lives, right? And so 
um, yeah, it's 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 a coming of age story. The first book is about him trying to grow up and you know, the main motivator for any boy that's trying to be a man is really to impress a girl, right? So he's yeah. got his first girlfriend and he's trying to impress her and show like, no, I can be a real serious guy. But as the series goes on, it's more and more about fulfilling your destiny. If you even believe in destiny, right? Do you think you have, how much control do you really have over your life? How much can you blame others? You know, it's something that you talked about earlier. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong approach to it, but I like that JT kind of gives all the kids a lens to look through and they go, yeah, that guy, he's like us. That's how I am. I want to take care of my mom too. You know, yeah, I have problems, but I'm trying my best just like he is. So it's about representing us as people, not necessarily as Latinos or anything like or people from Texas, but just us as boys trying our very best to become men and just going about it sometimes in the whole wrong way. Right. So, so yeah, is this I, character based on you? I would hate to <laughs> to be compared to my character. I mean, he's so different. You know what he is? I think he's who I would have become if I didn't have a mother, right? My mother was always doing homework with me and doing projects with me and coming to football games, even though she was working two or three jobs at times, right? And trying to escape an abusive relationship. And so for, for JT with just absolutely no guidance, I think I could have become that kid. And a lot of times I teach kids where I go, man, I wish I could just adopt you for like one year and take away all these problems, give you a fresh start, right? Give you a solid foundation. And then we could really see what you're made out of. And this kid just never got a fair chance. So I wouldn't say he's me, but he definitely could have been me if if I didn't have the support system that I have in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't mean you. I mean, like it could be a representation of you. It's like, you know, we, all, we always... You know, we're writers, right? We could write about anything, but it always has to come through you. So you are putting your own thoughts to to your to your words. I'm pretty sure there's something there, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's a mama's boy. I'm a mama's boy, right? I mean, that's just (laughs) that's like the, the heart of who this kid is, is he's got this love for his mother and that love for his mother eventually can transfer to other people once he learns how to make like healthy relationships, because a lot of his first relationships are just very toxic. You know how teenagers typically are. I mean, they they feel a lot, but they don't have actually think a lot about what they're feeling. Right. So it's like a, a conflation of like, do I go with my heart? Do I go with my brain? And I think I've always done a pretty good job of thinking through things logically, trying to imagine what the next step will be. And my main character is totally opposite. Right. He just goes with his instincts as smart as he is. He's just very emotional. And so I do have that emotional side to me. But he is a good way for me to express it. Right. So there's definitely a part of me in there. And I think all the characters kind of touch on different thoughts that I might have or different versions of maybe how life might have ended up. So for me, it's just a good the story is a good way for me to really look at things. Not so much. I mean, the story is good, but looking at things the way that we can't always look at it because of our preconceived notions of each other. Fantasy in particular with magic and a new world and new religions and new governments gives me a whole different angle, right? So I want to make sure that I'm very responsible about that angle and that I, you know, I'm careful not to misguide kids, right? Because kids are going to read my book. Adults are going to read my book. I want it to have a wide appeal, right? I want to dethrone Harry Potter, right? I mean, my book is better than Harry Potter, but (laughs) Harry Potter is like the kingpin, right, of like magic schools. But Harry and I don't have anything in common. You know, Harry's a little bit more on the softer side of things. And I wanted a little grittier, a little darker, maybe because I grew up in a dark, you know, tough neighborhood here in Houston. And so I wanted that for my story. I wanted that type of grit 
more, you know, to go with the magic, then, oh, everything will be fine and we'll just learn spells. So it, it definitely leans towards a darker, you know, a darker side of the genre, of the genre for sure. Well, good thing I got you before you became famous and you were like, Jose, who? Go no, through, I can't, go I through can't my agent, please. I can't wait to do another podcast with you when I'm famous, man. Everybody can book it December 5th, 2021. That'll be the start of me being famous for sure right there. That's what I was going to ask. So is the first and second book available and what are titles and where we could find it? So the series is called From Chaos Comes Order. And the four titles are going to be Chaos, Destroyer, Savior, and Order. So the first book, Chaos, and the second book, Destroyer, are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, from chaos comes order is the best way to search it because nobody else has that title and also my name jimmy rodriguez which is spelled differently my first name is spelled j-i-m-i my mom actually named me after jimmy hendrix so you know my mom was a little crazy for sure <laughs> choosing that one that's cool all right so now because you are a you know you create stories and you're a very different writer than i am so yep. what's Besides, so you are a self-published author and it's going to you're going to have a novel that has four chapters. So can you tell people or whoever is listening that wants to be a writer and be self-published and it's going your way? Because I think creating stories like that and making it into a, a full length, you know, kind of like four chapter movie, if you want to call it. It's very difficult because you have to remember everything, right? I'm like one of those that tells one story or goes very like, is this my story or like, I, I, I know I could create fiction, but I'll probably be like all over the place. What's the hardest thing to be a fictional, self-published author with four books? I think the, the biggest thing you need is humility. So I don't mean modesty and where you tell everybody like, no, I'm not that good because my book is really good, Right. But I mean humility in that there is going to be some really hard feedback that you're going to have to get right. You're going to have to let people read this book before it comes out and tell you, like you said, this was year 493. But I did the math and it's actually supposed to be 492. And now you got to go back and change it. Right. <laughs> and you're irritated because you're, you're letting people edit your work and you're letting people give you feedback. Right. But if you really care about what you're writing, right? It, to, to me, storytellers like you and I, fiction or nonfiction, we have that passion for the story. We got to get that story out of us and we really want it to help people. And so if you really care, then you have to be humble enough to let yourself be broken down and vulnerable, right? I mean, art is expressive. So just letting someone go, hey, yeah, I didn't really like it that much. That's a very scary thing, right? So it takes a, a, a world of humility to say, OK, I need another person to read this book. I need someone else to proofread this. I need someone to tell me if this cover is actually going to be effective. Right. And you have to be willing to hear things that you don't really want to hear. Right. There's a time and place for people to go. Yeah, this is great. This is amazing. But if you want to deliver something in this scope. Right. We're talking about maybe three hundred and seventy thousand words when it's all told. To, to deliver a professional experience from page one to page, let's say 1400 by the end of it, right? If you add up all the books together, you have to be humble enough to let yourself be criticized and to not just cry about it, but actually do something about it and say, let me go back again and again and again until this book is good enough, right? So yeah, I, I lose track of things all the time. 
in the first book, I would have one character holding a baby and then all of a sudden they're picking the baby up. Wait, what? I thought they were holding the baby, right? <laughs> so even the, the smallest little details I've screwed up before, but I, I try to be humble enough to accept the help that I'm grateful enough to have and really deliver something special. Well, you know, even if you guys don't know this, but Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, his number one priority is to make customers happy. He concentrates everything on making his customers, which is me, Amazon Prime, happy. He would do anything. He spends billions and billions of dollars just to know what customers want, what they want to see, what they want to watch, what they... So it goes along with what you're saying, right? Like you're putting a product for people to like, right? So you need to take that... You know, we're not perfect. We're trying to achieve something. You know, if they say they didn't like this, maybe you could fix it in a way or something like that. So, and by the way, you just said that you took it took you three years for from the stories that you put up and won the contest to actually finish your book. I mean, if that doesn't say dedication for your art, you know, I think people should know that you need dedication for an art form that you're doing because I'm pretty sure it's a passion that you love, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those lessons that I try to teach my daughter. So in a totally different art, hers is dance. Every day, if she could, daddy would have to sit there and watch her dance three or four different songs, right? But one of the tough lessons I've had to teach her is you have to deserve your audience. I would not get the opportunity for, for my mom to watch me play basketball very often. So if I knew my mom was, let's say, going to pick me up from the park, I would practice the same skill for hours and hours and hours so that when I got the one chance to show my mom, she would be impressed, right? My daughter wants me to watch her practice, right? My son wants me to watch him practice shooting hoops. And I tell my kids, I don't really want to watch you practice. I want to see the result of your hard work, right? So when it comes to my writing, people don't want to wait for me to be good if they've already paid the money. Once they give Amazon that $14.06 after taxes or whatever it is, They want a fully delivered professional product, right? And those first few pages are going to determine whether or not, not only they continue reading the book, but do they want the second book, the third book? Are they willing to, to read any of my, my future writing? So finding a customer is extremely difficult. It is much easier to keep a customer than it is to find a new one. So if you've got someone, you know, Jeff Bezos for whatever his evil empire is, that's the right way to go about it. It's easier to rank, to retain loyal customers than it is to constantly find new people who are going to try out a self-published author, right? I mean, I'm not in the New York Times list. So you just have to listen to my ideas or listen to me and go, you know what? Okay. I like that guy. I'm going to give him a chance, right? And when you get that one chance, you have to deliver something special for people or they're never going to give you another chance again. There's just too many good books out there. I always point out this uh, to people when when it comes to parenting and what you're talking about, that if your son comes to you and says, I want to become a basketball player, then I think always the question should be, well, show me, right? Like, we could, unfortunately, maybe you would not agree with what I'm about to say, but school will always be there meaning you know we could always get a degree or stuff like that but when it comes to like things that need talent or we need to figure out whether you have the talent or you know not everybody could be a lebron james right not everybody could be a Pharrell williams right like those things you need to have a talent in you right not 
all of us could write a novel like you did. I'm pretty sure I can't. Uh, but no, none of us could, you know, talk about my own personal things. So, so the point is, like, if somebody, if your kid comes to you and says, "Hey, I want to be a music producer," then you had to ask yourself, "Does he eat, sleep, thinks music all day?" And then you had to give him that option of being like, "Hey, you do talk about music. You do fall asleep thinking about music. You do go to your computer and start putting beats. You do talk about this. You." All your life revolves about music. So, yes, I will spend all the money and try to create that dream of yours, a reality. Like you were saying, you know, you need to see an effort on the part of the kid. Like I always say, every athlete that goes to the Olympics is 50-50. The kid had to come out and say, hey, I want to be a snowboarder and put up the time. And then the parent, the other 50 had to be like, I see your effort. I see your talent. So let's go and make that talent a reality, right? So I always say to people, like, when kids come to you and say, hey, I want to be a music producer, you know, be like, all right, show me what you got. You know, it's rare to hear a teacher say that education is not necessarily priority number one, but I actually agree with you. My wife being a professional dancer, you know, you don't get to be a professional dancer at 60, right? You have a very limited time to be an athlete or an entertainer and yeah, school and education will always be there anytime you have something that could expire, right? Like our body's physical health and you have the talent to do so, you have to do it immediately. Like if, if, if I have a child that can be a pro soccer player at 16 and he might not finish high school right there, you have to pursue that dream if that's a passion of yours. It's a it's a little bit of a, a catch 22, right? Because you want to do the best thing for your child. You want them to have this like solid education and foundation. But um, it's I think there's a, a little bit of like there's a little bit of racism in there. I'm about to get a little deep on you here. When you look at a child that let's say if I told people, yeah, I'm going to homeschool my son because he wants to be in the NBA. Everybody would be up in arms about it. Right. But if I said I was going to homeschool my child because he wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, nobody cares. Nobody cares because Olympic swimmers are homeschooled. Uh, star tennis players, they don't go to school for 10 hours a day and waste their time in school. You know, star athletes who are in predominantly white sports, everyone knows that they're homeschooled. Everyone knows that they're spending 10, 15 hours at a time training for these things. But when it comes to basketball, when it comes to football, it's a whole different story. The football player needs to go to college for three years and and give the NCAA their labor for free because we don't get to pay college athletes. Right. But these professional soccer players, these professional baseball players here in America, they train year round. These volleyball players, they train year round and many of them are homeschooled. Many times the education is on the back burner because their their family is already financially stable. Right. If you look at soccer in the United States, it costs so much money to play a sport that requires so little equipment that's done in pretty much every country that's much poorer than ours. Right. But in in America, soccer is extremely um, costly. So only really wealthy kids can afford to go to these amazing soccer camps or, you know, play for Team USA juniors. Right. And our poor kids have to hope that they get noticed in high school football, which is extremely dangerous, probably shouldn't be, you know, hitting each other in the head, you know, at such a young age. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting ways that we look at uh, my daughter being black and, you know, a black girl that wants to be a singer. They go, oh, wait a minute. Aren't you being a little irresponsible? Maybe she should go to college first. But if she wants to be a singer, if she wants to be a dancer, there's a very small window for that. So I'm in agreement with you. You got to go for the gusto. And because she has teachers as parents, we can we can get her back into school. We can get her back into college. Right. I mean, that's always going to be there. 
your brain won't expire as fast as your body will. So it seems controversial for a teacher to say, yeah, go ahead and leave school and go pro and whatever it is. But when you have a passion, you have to deliver on that passion the first opportunity you get. And also you have to have the talent, right? You, Yeah. Like if I say I want to be a basketball player, I'm fine too. I know I'm not going to be a basketball player, right? Yeah, like, no. you know, like, you know, <laughs> if my son who is, uh, the son of a five two year old boy and he says he wants to be a basketball player i'll be like ah let's shoot for soccer all right i know that mm, you know i always tell you, you could be whatever you want but let's choose another sport that you know could be you know you, you also had to see it like is the talent there you had to be also like open-minded and be like yeah you don't sing well or yeah you don't have you had two left feet and stuff like that because. It's tough to tell your kid, right, that it's like not realistic. But I agree. I'd rather be honest. When I when my daughter was four and five and she was in dance, I said, OK, dance can be fun. But once she hit six, I said, OK, I need to see something. I need to go to this recital and she needs to have a presence on stage because stars were stars very early. Right. I mean, we're all developing. It's not like you have to be a star six. You can still develop. But there's a certain it factor that I'm looking for. If I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on you for costumes and all these things with the salary that I make. Yeah, you need star potential for sure. And so I let my daughter know that right off the bat. I need to see it from you before you get financial support from me. Right. And so I don't know if she's going to be a professional dancer or not. She likes fashion and she likes science and she likes all these things, which is part of what I want. But before I put any time or money in something, both of my children know I need to see something from you first. Totally agree. I mean, we all we all want to say yes to everything for our kids. Right. But leading them down the wrong path is only going to make them trust you less in the future. If you knew that it was impossible and you let them go down this path and waste this time, I, I just think it's a mistake. As much as you want to make your kids happy, you have to teach them how to make good decisions, too. And also going back on education, I also want to say that if your kid is like genius, that's a talent, too. Right. Not all of us could be uh, astrophysicists or like discover new coding systems or, you know, it's not all about talent in the way that we're talking about dancing and Olympics and everything. There's also, I can't code. I've been looking for a coder and that's the future. So, for example, if your kid is like destroying a computer and building it up by himself, you have to, that's, that's our job. We have to see what our kids are good at. You know, like I, I was going to tell you this about education is like, you also have to know your teachers are there to teach, not to be parents, right? We as parents have to do the all the work. We have to see what our kids are good at, what they like, what they don't like. What if my son, out of nowhere, you know, right now he's all into music. He knows who sings it. He knows who it is without me telling him. So what if he has a really good ear? That's a talent, right? So we need to work on that. You know, doesn't mean, and what if my son, it's a genius with numbers. We had to see that and we had to work on that. So we always had to be as parents. We always had to be on the lookout for what our kids are good at. I always tell kids like the number one mistake I have done in my life is waste time because I never know what I want to do. Right. Not knowing who you want to be, what you want to be in life. It's just wasting a lot of time. You know, if somebody in my nephew came like three years ago and she said, I want to be a mechanic. And all of us were like, you just drop out of school and for two years you didn't know what you want to do. 
we all laughed at him like this fool he's going to not be a mechanic in six months he's working for ford now so the thing is like as long as you know who you are and us as parents please look at your kids know what they're good at and give them the outlet to be good at what they're good at and maybe succeed in life this is america this camera that we're you know talking and looking at each other somebody built it and it's making a lot of money for it so as long as we figure out what their kids are good at and we give them the path to be good at that and make a lot of money that's something important i think yeah this is a, a interesting thing about parenting is you i didn't realize how much influence i had based on what i complimented right so my children want desperately to get daddy's approval, right? I mean, they they want to impress my wife, but there's something a little different about, okay, dad's very hard on me. So I want to do things that he finds impressive, right? So my son will want to show me how he organized his Pokemon collection because dad likes Pokemon, right? And my daughter will want to show me her basketball shooting because she knows daddy was a basketball coach, right? So they want to do things that they think will get my approval. So I have to be very conscious about making sure I compliment their work ethic, right? And not always their talent or complimenting how how mature they were trying to learn something or compliment how good their manners are, right? There's there's all these other little soft skills that sometimes we sort of take for granted as adults because we already know how to do it, right? But kids don't come fully equipped with like good skills and how to learn and grow. So when my daughter is dancing, I might tell her something like, um, the routine was great, but I saw there was a part where you were about to mess up and you self-corrected really well, right? I want to tell her that that's an important thing because as a child growing, I want her to go, oh, okay, if my dad sees me make a mistake, he'll be very impressed if I fix it versus I have to be perfect or my dad's going to you know, think it was terrible or whatever, right? So I have to be very careful about what I say and what I like to highlight, especially with my daughter. I mean, she's a beautiful little girl, right? So everyone all day says, oh, your hair, your hair, your hair is so beautiful. She's got this beautiful curly hair like my wife. And so me, when I when I find myself telling her, oh, you're so cute, you're so beautiful, I try to always back it up with a compliment that doesn't have anything to do with her looks, right? So she's not going through life thinking, it's my looks that make me valuable. You know, it's how nice you are. It's how good of a big sister you are. It's how you pour cereal for your brother in the morning before <laughs> we wake up, right? Like, those are the things I love about you. And you just so happen to be beautiful, Right. Because she hears it so much all the time, it, it would be very easy for her psychologically psychologically to think I'm important because I'm pretty. Right. But it's just such a small part of who she is. Right. And it's the same for my son. Like he's going to be a good athlete, I think. But he's so much more than that. He's a nice kid. He's helpful. He helps mommy put away the dishes. Right. So those are the things I want to praise in addition to, wow, I'm so impressed that he made however many basketball shots he made outside. So we have this great power with our attention and our words as parents, especially as dads. So I try to be very aware of what message I'm sending to my kids when I'm encouraging them or discouraging them. Right. It's funny because uh, I didn't have a dad growing up. So when I became a dad, I was like, am I going to know how to become a, how to be a dad? And it turns out I, I am becoming the typical hard dad. And by the way, I'm super soft and he has me by the finger. Uh, but <laughs> for example, uh, now that my girlfriend is back to work, I'm with him a lot and I need my time. I need to exercise. I need to work. I need to do things. And he's used to, you know, us be there all the time. 
So I know he's he look. If my kid was dumb, I'll tell you, hey, that was dumb, and he's going. He has good looks, so hopefully that works, right? But this guy is smart. I mean, he's only four. He reads in English. He reads in Spanish. He talks in Spanish, English. Uh, he's already uh, writing, reading. He does his uh, math, uh, subtraction, division. I mean, he's smart. Uh, I think he has a good memory, so to put it like that. But I know he's also smart, so he's not independent at all. So last week he we bought him Legos. He likes to build. Man, I knew this guy has been building seven plus Legos since he was like one year old. You know what I mean? So when he was like, "Hey, can you help me?" You know, build the Lego. I told him, "Nope. This is the time for you to be by yourself. If you don't want to wait for me three hours." You got to do it yourself. And I keep telling my girlfriend, he knows how to do it. He just needs somebody next to him. You know, it's two different things, right? Being needed and being smart, right? Yep. And then I told him, you know what? You you had to do it and I'm going to pretend you're not here. So if you ask me for something, I'm going to ignore you. I told him right away. I actually talked to him very like human-like. I don't put everything child-like. I talked to right. him very serious. I talked talk to him like he was a, an adult and stuff like that. He was building a Lego set that it was, I think, eight and uh, plus. And he's only four. And since I didn't help him, he actually built it himself. It was like a dinosaur. So when he finished and he showed me that, look, I finished, I had to talk to him and be like, look, this is what I'm talking about. I know you're smart. I know you're so smart. I know it. You need to realize that you need to separate the being needed. It's one thing. And, you know, you have to stop thinking that you cannot do it because I know that. So that's one of the responsibilities as, as a dad, I guess, to show them what you already know, but they don't see it. Right. You see that they're smart. You see that they're talented. You know, hopefully we have that better eyesight to see what their talents are, whether they're smart or something and make them realize that they have it right you, you know what's challenging about it for people like you and i i grew up struggling right i've been poor I've been in hotels right when we didn't have a place to stay on the run from you know our, my stepdad or whatever right and so there's a there's a part of me that wants to make sure my children don't struggle right that they have a happy wonderful safe life in a two-story house in a nice neighborhood in the suburbs right and, and go to good schools or go to a good dance school and i want for my kids to be happy but the struggle is what made us who we are right and so this tendency to like i have to make my kids happy they may be a little sad they may be a little hurt because i didn't help them you have to overcome that right you oh, it, yeah. it's, it's like uh, oh i came and i saved the day but we frequently, and I see this as a teacher and a parent, we frequently underestimate what children are capable of. Children are extremely resilient. They're very persistent. They know how to get what they want, right? And, and so if that method is you, if you're the one that gives them what they want, well, then that's the method they'll take, right? But if you remove yourself from it, then they'll find a way. They will always find a way when left to their own devices. And I, I just think there's like this, this just pressure on us to say, I'm going to give my kid everything I didn't have, which a lot of times is attention. Right. But taking away the struggle from a child is just going to set them up for failure long term. Right. You have to let them sort of figure those things out, even if they do the little pouty faces, even if they just tell you that they're missing you and just <laughs> yeah. can't sit next to me while you write your book and I'll do my Legos over here. Right. So I've, I've been through some of those stages, especially with my daughter. I'm a piece right? of shit, dad. I should be next to him. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you're just like, thanks for the guilt trip, right? But you know, you can't let yourself be psychologically manipulated by a child, right? They're so good at it, though. They just hit you. I just miss you. I just want to watch a movie with you. Is that so much to ask? And you're thinking, no, it's not. But yes, do your work. Like, you can do it. You have to be tough on them, right? That's also part of, like, figuring out your role between, you know, the mom and the dad, right? This is this is why it's all, always important to have two figures so that there can be a balance, right? Mommy can baby them a little more because that's what she wants to do. And I can be a hard ass if I have to, because that's what I want to do to make sure that they have this this balance, right? I mean, there's a there's a place for kids to feel spoiled and there's a place for them to feel like somebody is holding me accountable and has high expectations for me. So to me, everything is about balance, right? But it's it's hard, man. They they make you feel you can have a whole day of going to the zoo and playing basketball and coming home and eating ice cream and then it's time to go to sleep and my kids are like let's just do one more movie and when you say no to that one last thing they act like the whole day was just miserable right oh my god that's terrible how could you do this to me and you're like no we did one two three four yeah that's when i flip out and be like are you kidding me didn't we just did this didn't we just do that I mean, in the, uh, especially yeah, now you know, I won't do anything for you. You know what? Next time I won't even do any of that. And you're going to do it anyway. Right? I always but, tell my, my everybody that I feel bad for my son because one, I didn't have a dad growing up. And by the way, when I was nine, I was like boiling water so I could put it with the cold water so I could shower myself, get ready myself, cook myself, cook my own meals, go to school, walk to the bus, take the bus. go. And I was only nine. I was doing all this stuff. But I always tell people that, you know, of course, I want to give him everything. But the independence and being independent, I still want to put that in, in him, right? Um, of course, I'm not going to tell him to boil water, but I, I am going to tell him, like, right now to open the fridge and get the milk and put Nesquik by yourself. And if you make a mistake, it's fine. Pick it up and do it again until you fix it, right? There's two different ways of seeing it, right? Of course, I'm going to give him everything. And I'm going to be there for him. But that doesn't mean I had to do everything for him because being independent is a big issue. Right now, I had to talk to him like, I'm just looking back to see if he's here. Uh, <laughs> like a couple of weeks ago, I had to, after so many weeks of trying to tell him that how much he needs to be independent, I told him, look, this is the real thing. It's not that we don't love you. It's not that we don't care about you. We actually are the two people who will always be there for you. The two people that care about you so much that we will give our lives for you. We are doing this because once you go out that door, nobody cares about you. Nobody really cares about you. Once you go into that playground and that kid tells you he doesn't want to play with you, I don't want you to feel sad. I want you to be okay with that. I want you to say, okay, he doesn't want to play with me. Let me go find somebody else. Or it's okay to play by himself. So I t- had to tell him this straight out because he wasn't understanding. And hopefully he gets it, right? That we are trying to teach him that outside this bubble that he lives, there's going to be struggles outside. So I was trying to show him how we here will give everything we can to be good or for him to feel safe or for him to be okay. But there's struggles out there. And he needs to realize that, that he needs to build an independence, be okay by himself I don't want him to be needy because people will take advantage of that, you know? Yeah, there's just so many psychological lessons. I mean, it's it's funny. Being a parent will force you to be a better person because you've got to model all these things, right? So you can talk to your kid about, hey, you need to be patient and you need to stay focused on a task, right? And then when I'm playing video games, I'm 
blowing up <laughs> right at the game. And I'm not being patient and I'm not staying focused, right? And and sometimes my kids will call me on it and they'll be like, stop and think it through, right? Or some Sesame Street line that I always use on them. So they'll they'll definitely remind you of the things that you told them to do if oh, you're not personally doing it. I just had a talk with them that I told them that I struggle with, with the same things he's going to and that I know what he why he's always anxious and why he can't focus and stuff like that because I am like the same way and I had to tell him I know I am like that and the reason I want you not to be like that is because I know that we shouldn't be like that I'm still struggling with it I'm trying to fix it so I'm trying to show you that fix it yourself too you know what I mean like yeah for me it's one of my biggest weaknesses is competitiveness So I'm a terrible loser, right? And sometimes I'm not a good winner either. So when I see this come out in my son, I just can't help but laugh because when he's freaking out that somebody else scored a goal in soccer that wasn't him while we're playing soccer, where we're kicking the ball at the door in the dining room or something, my wife is just looking at me like, oh, you're really going to tell him <laughs> to be so competitive, right? Because I'm pretty sure you, sir, you know, so it's a, it's, I think though, when you can tell your child, I struggle with this too or these are the consequences that I face from not being able to overcome this. And those are the things that I don't want for you. It, to me, it makes it a more authentic lesson because for whatever reasons, kids are convinced that their parents know nothing, right? Like they all, especially at that four five, six, now they know everything. Now they think that they can talk back and they, you know, so for me, I have to remind my children that I know what I'm talking about, that I've been there, done that. And some things to me are like common sense, but to my kids, They, they can't imagine what life outside the house is like, right? Like they can't imagine that they're going to be faced with racism or that my daughter will be faced with sexism. Like she can't grasp that concept yet. So even though I understand it so well, it's very hard for me to remind her of like these imaginary challenges that she has not had to deal with. So there are times where I'm taking something serious and she's looking at me like, okay, dad, like here goes dad on another lecture again, right? But the more you can connect yourself to it and they trust you, right, the more it's going to kind of sink in. So, yeah, I think those of us who have had struggles, we can leverage that as parents. I do it all the time as, as a teacher and say, yeah, this was a hard thing for me. So let me make sure you don't struggle with it. I think kids appreciate that connection. And like you said, when you talk to a child like they're an adult, they'll force themselves to think more like an adult versus having everything dumbed down to them. Well, then they'll dumb themselves down, too. I really think kids are malleable. They can go one way or the other, depending on how you shape them. So the higher the expectations, the more you're going to get from a child. Well, man, I, I got to tell you, you're doing a good job, man. Not only as a writer, as a dad. And I mean, only bad things that you like the Rockets, but I, I get it. Houston is it's pretty heartbreaking. cool. It's heartbreaking sometimes, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, I love Houston. I think um, I got the fattest in Houston because... I had to eat in all the papas and mamas, papacitos, papa dough, uh, mamas and papas, all that stuff. I love Houston. Houston is one of, you know, the best cities that I've been to. I was staying at the that big mall, uh, like I was staying at a residence inn in front of it. Pretty cool. So Did shout out to Houston. Yeah, and first first of all, I want to say thanks for stopping by, and uh, we've been talking a long, long time, and it was, you know very easy to talk to you so thanks for stopping my man yeah man i really appreciate you having me i got a lot of respect for what you do and and i really like that you you took the leap and wrote a book 
that you weren't sure, you know, was going to have, you know, whatever impact it was going to have when you're doing something no one else is doing. You know, I've never seen the idea of dad without a dad being actually written down, even though so many of us have gone through that. So I appreciate you putting the message out there, you know, and making me feel like I'm not alone in what I'm trying to do. And so listening to you and Andy has been a pleasure, you know, and I'm looking forward to listening to you guys some more. I wish I could have had the chance to meet Andy because I'm a fan of his. So um, yeah, yeah I'm just grateful for the time. So he's in the gaming industry, and then uh, he he told me he's like, um, oh, I'm not gonna be able to do it this week because he actually, you know, he gets projects. He's a independent contractor, so he just gets projects like different games. He needs to promote this, blah blah blah. So he just got a big one, and then he's like, I'm gonna have to skip it for a couple of days. And you know, we're all dads. We gotta feed our family first. So whatever brings the money to our house, that's what we're all trying to do. Uh, but yeah, like I just thought about writing the book while running one day, and then I wasn't as professional as you, <laughs> because uh, and people always get surprised when I tell them it only took me three months to finish the whole book, like literally from start to. But I was telling the story was already there; it was just yeah. putting it in writing, and then of course I did a lot of mistakes, and now I could tell people how to write a book for free. <laughs> it cost me like five thousand dollars because I didn't know better. Uh, but yeah, do you have any advice to any, you know, self-published authors out there that are trying to write an amazing novel like you are? Yeah, I think the biggest advice right now that I'm learning as I'm as I'm growing a little more into my into my career is focus on the writing. It's very easy to get caught up in refreshing your sales page and seeing did anyone buy it now? Did anyone buy it now? And maybe have I gotten a review in the last six months? Right, like that can be so excruciating on the marketing end. But I think it is just going to be much easier to market when you have already become the best writer you can be. Right. I mean, we'll always have some room to grow. But I got so caught up on that in my first book because I, I sold like 100 books in the first week in five countries. And I had all this great success with my first book. But then I wasn't writing. Right. So I was focused so much on begging people to buy the book and give me a chance. I just finally decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on me and myself. And now that my attitude is more about self-growth and becoming a better writer, I found that people have just decided, oh, I'm going to buy the book because I like this guy. He just seems like he cares a lot about his work. And so I'm more willing to give him a chance or to trust his writing or to see if he really is writing a book better than Harry Potter, right? Like people want answers to those questions. If you just be who you are, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out better in the end than trying to force yourself to be like a marketing genius or whatever that masters advertisements and stuff, focusing on what you do. And what I do is write. And what I do is raise my kids and try to be a good husband to my wife. And so on Twitter and on any other social media, I focus on on Jimmy. I don't really focus on my book so much. I would say half the people who bought my book bought it because they want to support the person that I am. Right. And then they happen to like the book. Then I can get my word of mouth and all that. Maybe in a year or two, I'll start focusing on actually selling the book. But every day I work my ass off, sorry for the language, to to be a great writer because people are going to give their hard earned money just to see, is this guy really even that good? And I don't take that for granted. I think even I think it's three dollars or four dollars to buy my my ebook. If somebody's going to give me four dollars of their money, I want to make sure that it's worth that four dollars. So if you focus on the craft and not so much on the results, the outcomes, the numbers, the charts, I think your your numbers will be a byproduct of it. Kind of like with sports, I tell my teams, let's focus on practice. If you practice well, winning is going to happen in the end no matter what. If you're thinking about winning instead of practicing, you won't be good enough to win. So 
focusing on the process is very, very important. And everything after that is just going to follow. Well, that's what I learned because, um, and, you know, it's funny because even though we met in social media, I have met good connections and everything. Uh, I really don't care about social media. The only reason I have social media is because I am a self-published author. So I don't have a marketing. Um, like we just exchanged some tweets a couple of weeks ago that I was like, I just played the game, man. Like, I really wish I didn't have social media. The only reason I got Facebook is because I needed to open a business account because I manage some accounts. I do social media for people because I'm good at that. I'm not good at caring whether people will like my tweets or how many numbers I have. And I wish I could just unfollow everybody and people would get mad because like this short, dumb looking Guatemalan doesn't follow them. You know, it's like, you know, there's COVID-19 out there. There's, you had to raise your kids. That's important. Who cares about social media? But I had to put myself out there because that's the only way we could all market ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm glad you didn't <laughs> delete your social media, at least before we met. I know. Well, thank you very much for uh, stopping by. And before we go, once again, where could people buy your amazing novels? So once again, you can find my work on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Amazon has the ebook as well as the paperback versions. The series is From Chaos Comes Order by Jimmy Rodriguez. That's J-I-M-I Rodriguez. So you can find me there and you can follow me on Twitter if you like at Jimmy A. Rodriguez. And I'd be glad to be one of your numbers, too, so we can <laughs> get, our, get ourselves out there. I'll play the game a little longer before Jose gives up on it entirely. OK, uh, it's not I gave up. I just now I'm at a point that. I actually, uh, I, so I re like reinvented myself. I saw how nobody care about dad without a dad. Nobody say, "Hey, you, the dad." They also, they all, everybody always said, "Hey, you, Jose de la Roca," because my name is very, it stands out. Jose de la Roca stands out, and this yeah. weird beard always stands out. So I saw how the product was me. So now my company is dad without a dad. So since I had that account already. I decided to, hey, you know what? Let's play this stupid game that everybody plays and see if it works. So I started my Twitter account, the dad with a dad. And let me see if I if I could play the game. And man, in a month, like I had like all these followers. And then I stopped at a point where I was like, you know what? I have enough. I'll just look for a hashtag that I don't want to say what it is. And I'll play the game. But I'm glad because I got to meet you, you know? Yeah. And the beard is good, man. You look like a James Harden fan over there for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Once again, where could people find you? So you can find me at Twitter at Jimmy A. Rodriguez, and you can find me on Amazon.com. Uh, Both my books are there. The series is called From Chaos Comes Order. And before we go, any advice to anybody who's listening and thinking that they had a rough upbringings and maybe they're struggling, whether it's with alcoholism or whether it's like personal, because I always tell people, look, Things that happen to you throughout your life, they will teach you a lot of things. And it's all about loving yourself, not loving anybody else. Because first you had to love yourself. You had to change because you want to change. And if you don't change yourself, you know, nobody else will, you know. So if you want change, first you got to change yourself. So the first step that I took to quit drinking and becoming a better person was to love myself. After 
noticing that I needed to love myself, understand that, yeah, I'm short, that, yeah, I look funny, that I have an accent, but that doesn't mean I cannot do things. Only because I have an accent doesn't mean I cannot do a podcast or stuff like that. I started loving myself and understanding that I, I am different, and that's okay. And I always tell people, look, no matter what you're going through, start loving yourself. Because I was able to change, that means you are able to change. Because if this short we're looking Guatemalan was able to change, so can you. So do you have any advice to if anybody's going through something? Because you went through a lot and you became a great man, a great dad, and a great author. So I think there's a lot of advices that you could give to anybody out there. Yeah, look, I appreciate that. I, I think if you if you're listening to this you know, and even when I listen to it in the future, I'm sure I'll come back and listen to this every year or so now just to hear our great conversation. If you are struggling, I think there is just beauty in the word struggle. The only people who are not struggling are people who quit. Everybody who is trying is dealing with something right now. Anybody that's trying to better themselves or their lives or their families, there's going to be a struggle. The fact that you feel like you're in a struggle already says that you're not a quitter, right? So regardless of what the obstacle is, if you're thinking to yourself, man, this is hard, or man, I'm really tired, or I wish this could just be over already, people who struggle are people who are going to be better. And so anybody that's struggling already has my respect, because the only way to, to stop is just to roll over and say, okay, it's not worth it, I give up, you win. So, you know, there's a beauty in it. And when I find that life is too easy, I almost go find something to struggle on now. Right. I mean, I, I had a lot of struggles handed to me, you know, with with abusive parents or with a dad in prison. And so those things were just on my plate as a child. But now as a man, I have to find those struggles for myself. So I, I think there's a beauty in it. I don't think I want to get to a point in life where everything is so easy that I can just kind of go through the motions and get through life. It just seems like such a waste to me. So I want the next big challenge. I want the next thing that I'm not really sure if I can actually overcome that obstacle or I'm not really sure if this community center will ever get built, if we can raise the money for it. Right. Or I'm not exactly 100 percent sure that I'll be able to write the fourth book, you know, in time. But those struggles, that anxiety of not knowing that pain of not knowing if I'm good enough. That's the beauty of life right there. That's something that only people are capable of. So I want to take full advantage of that. And I think everybody else should capitalize on that, too, and say, all right, at least I'm willing to struggle. So that already makes me a fighter and everybody else who's trying to struggling with me. So at least I know I'm not alone. And then they can hit up you and I at least and we'll, we'll help them anyway. Well, thank you for stopping by. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by, man. And if you need something to struggle with, I could give you my anxiety because, bro, my anxiety, like somebody coughs outside my apartment and I think I'm going to die of coronavirus tomorrow. So my anxiety always keeps me up. It always gives me something to struggle. Until next time, my name is Jose, Jose de la Roca. Thank you.